0: Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent, and as we start it, uh, I want to talk about the passage that's assigned for the first Sunday of Lent, and particularly the gospel lesson that we just read, and I want to narrow it down to talk about just two verses of the very first two verses of that gospel, and really, I only want to talk about two words <laughs> of, the, of the first two verses, but as we, we look at that passage, it starts out by saying, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit." returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. I want to talk about wilderness, and I want to talk about tempted. And I'm going to do those in reverse order. So I want to to first talk about being tempted. And the thing about when we talk about this gospel lesson about being tempted, the very first thing to know that, I don't know, this is one of those things where if you don't really stop and think about it, you may have never thought about it. But this is one of those passages where I think Jesus really has something in this he wants us to know, that he wants us to learn, because if Jesus doesn't retell the story, we don't know it. Like there are most of the passages we read about Jesus' teaching, somebody's there to record it and repeat it, this and that, and all these things. But this is one of those ones where we're told he's out in the desert alone, and it's just him and the devil, but here we have it, the details of it. Which means, some point along the way, he thought this was important enough There's something to learn for his followers and disciples to learn that he repeats this story. And so we want to drill down just a little bit deeper on parts of it. And it's this temptation story. And as you read the account, Jesus is tempted with this talk about food, about power, and about security. But it's really, I want to suggest that we we would get lost if we're dealing with those three different things. I don't think most of us are going to have the Jesus test out in the wilderness. We're going to have some, some other kind of test in our own lives. But what's important in this, I think, is to look at the notions behind it all. And our own temptations, it might just as well be um, something else, right? It might be clinging desperately to youth and beauty or striving after wealth or um, lust-inducing pictures or whatever your temptation is, right? We can put that out there in lots of different ways. Probably not these three, but other ones. And as we start the season of Lent, which is meant to be a season of self-reflection and repentance, we want to talk about what happens with temptation in our own lives. And I want to suggest to you um, something you may not have heard, because it's sort of the other side of the coin that we never talk about. But when we talk about temptation, there really are two sides to it. And the one we always talk about, I think, is how temptation is luring us towards something, whatever that thing is that we want that we think we need, or whatever else that we're being lured to her. But we don't stop to think about the other side of it, which is what we're leaving, what we're being pulled away from and being drawn away from. And ultimately, that is the relationship we have with God. Ultimately, it's about being secure and knowing that we're the beloved of God, as His sons and daughters. And, and we've said it before, but all sin, the definitions of sin, are ultimately about denying who we're meant to be in God. There are lots of ways to phrase that in particularities, but it's, so as we give in to temptation, we're pulling ourselves away from who we're meant to be. And there's a real sense in which we're losing our true identity. And that's why I titled this uh, identity theft, this idea that the dark powers, that evil, that Satan, whatever we're going to view this stuff, wants us to forget who we are, wants, actually wants us to steal away our identity. And it's a different way for us to look at it, right? Because when we talk about temptation, there are lots of places where we can, get, we can just jump up and down and talk about legalism. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You're a bad person if you do this. And we get all caught up in all these don'ts, don'ts, don't do this, and all the, all the bits about legalism. But I wonder how much healthier it is for us to maybe stop and think about what we're losing. Like, what really is going on is we're forgetting who we are. We're forgetting what we're about. We're forgetting how it's meant to be, all these kinds of things, rather than focusing on this legalism bit. And I've always loved, and I think it goes right into this, how St. Augustine in the 4th century used to say again and again about, this, about sin. He would say, love God and do as you please. And this idea that if, you, if you're living in this relationship with God and in this harmony with God, these things that will draw us away from, our, from God and from our true nature and from our fellow man, all these different things that, are, that ultimately lead us to sin, they're not even appetizing when you're walking in harmony if they are we get a a quick a, a quick um, loving correction from god this voice saying yeah mm, not sure about that one let's go this way right i think it's a to me it's a healthier way maybe to look at this whole notion of temptation of what we're losing and what we're stepping away from rather than dealing straight up with the struggle of what what's pulling us because those two are connected and i'll say more about that in a minute i think when we look at this passage there there are probably lots and lots of reasons why Jesus told this story to his followers. I want to tease out two different things on the temptation part of this to think about and to reflect on. The first one of these is what this says about um, the devil's MO. What his modus operandi is on this. And I think when we look at it, his MO is usually to try to raise mistrust. To try to get us to, to say something about Can we really trust God in that? Is he really listening to that? Does he know the pain we're in? Whatever it is. And he does it with Jesus here, right? I mean, because we get Jesus out in the wilderness, alone, hungry and all this stuff. And now he's coming to him and saying, aren't you hungry? Is God going to provide? God the Father going to provide? Are you sure you have enough? Or looking at the kingdoms and saying, are you enough? You sure about this? Or looking at his security and saying, how do you know God the Father is really going to take care of you? Why don't we go off this pinnacle and see if he's going to catch you? It's always raising mistrust, always raising these kinds of things. And I think we get, we get that into ourselves, right? It applies to us as well. We start to think, am I enough? Or what am I missing? And we start thinking about all the ways that this plays into our world, right? Because like, all, and I'm not, not, I know we probably have people in the room that are into, who work in advertising. So I'm not, I love our people in advertising. But I think a lot of advertisements, part of advertising is to say you've got this great need. You're, you can't possibly be satisfied where you are because you need this, and then you'll be complete, or whatever else it is. And this idea that we're, we're, we've got to raise this notion that you're fundamentally, you don't have what you need, and that you're insecure, and that it's not enough, and it goes on and on that way, right? That's his MO that he does. And you can see it from the very start. You can think about... Like, if you go back to the passage about Adam and Eve and you think about the story there, whether you're a contextualist or a literalist, I don't care right now, but the story is told for its truth. And we get the serpent sliding up who's basically saying, did God really say that? You get mistrust. And if he's not telling you that, what else isn't he telling you? And probably if you eat this thing, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going at this mistrust, trying to lay it further down. And so we get this again. Again, it happens in politics too, Right. You get the politician that will always is going to say, you need to be fearful. Things are not secure, but I can fix it. You need to put me in office because I can fix it. That's, I mean, that's the way it works. I think it's always trying to say it's not enough. You need more. I can fix, somebody else can fix it. Some other thing will make us happy. If only I had this, I'd be complete and satisfied and whatever else. Instead of just stopping and basking in you're the beloved of God, God created you in love. That you're his son or his daughter and all this, and just taking that in and just saying, I'm enough. It's enough. I'm enough. The whole thing. And there's this strong link, uh, link between getting the sense of who we are in God and temptation. Because when we know who we are, all those things that might tempt us, I think, are not nearly as appealing. When you know the fullness of God and you're growing into that and you get a sense of who you are, those things lose their way. So I think that's part of it is looking at what um, the devil's MO in is in all this. And I think the other part that goes right along with that is looking at how Jesus responds. Because you know, that. so Satan walk, comes up to him at this moment and out in the desert when he's alone and says to him, as I said before, aren't you hungry? You sure God's going to provide? Look at all these kingdoms. You sure you have enough? I can put you over all of it. Or... Are you sure God really cares? God the Father really cares. Let's, let's make sure. And Jesus' answer, he answers every time with Scripture. And a lot of times we, we talk about it, and I actually do believe how important Scripture reading and stuff is in helping us with these things. But, but I think it's not enough to say that um, Jesus is answering by quoting Scripture, and it's all from one book. But it's more the words he's saying, because every time he answers, he's basically affirming his conviction about who he is and who God is and what and God the Father is, and what we're doing with all this. So it's like, you want to change these stones into bread? And he's like, no, nah. you know, actually, no, we cannot live by bread alone. We've got to have this thing with God. Or, why don't you fall down and worship me? Yeah, no, only God the Father is meant to be worshipped. Only God is meant to be worshipped. So we're not going to do that. So again, he's affirming, he's, he's drawing back and putting right in his conviction about his trust and where he is on this or throw yourself off no we're not meant to test God that way he's drawing back Jesus is every point affirming his conviction about who he is who God the father is and what he's about and he leaves the desert even more sure I think the way it looks and all that speaks into us as we think about our own temptations that we face if we can remember who we are to our core, it will help us to easily to say no to these things that might want to tempt us. And the truth is, at some point in our lives, all of us have faced difficult times of temptation, things we want just because we want it. We may not control it, but we want it. And we want to try to game the system any way we can. We don't care if we're breaking some rules for it or whatever. We've all struggled at some point with some kind of something that wants to pull us away from God. And to me, one of the many, many reasons we would talk about why this fellowship is so important is because the part of what the church does, the many parts that the church does, is to come every week and, and remind us that we are sons and daughters of a loving God, that we are the beloved, that Jesus goes, God and the Son goes all the way to the cross for us and what that means for us. And the more we can take in the depths and breaths and height and all this stuff of his love, and we can just lavish in it, the easier it is for us to know who we are, be clear about our identity, and to be able to say no to these things that tempt us. There's a popular um, radio program that's on Saturday, Saturday. Some of y'all will know it, but he'll always say, now on to act Act two. We're now on to act two of the sermon. So I want to, the first part I want to talk about was this first word, temptation. I want to turn now and talk about wilderness for a minute and talk about the desert. And that one of the things I like about Lent is I think we get to say things that are harder in Lent. We get to say things that um, people oftentimes don't want to hear. And it starts with Ash Wednesday, right? I mean, if you can imagine any other time of the year, if you came up to me and I said, yeah, you're going to die to you. You'd be like, oh my gosh, that guy's weird. But on Ash Wednesday, that's exactly what we do. You come up and we say, yeah, you're, ashes, you're, you're dust and you're going to return to dust. You're going to die. We get to say hard things. And I want to say one of those hard things right now as we, as we think about the place of desert or this place of wilderness for a minute in our spiritual lives. And, you know, so Jesus is led, he's baptized, and the Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert, into this wilderness, and whatever you want to say about it, it's a place where he's alone. I think about it as being this place that where it's dry and he's alone. And then all these things start to happen. And I think most of us can relate to this, right? That we've all been through places that are dry, where we're alone, and stuff is happening. It's, it's our own desert places. And it happens in all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? It happens in all kinds of shapes and sizes. You can be sitting in your car shedding tears because you've been passed over for some job or you've been let go from some job. You can be in a place where you feel like you're the only person there in a hospital waiting room with something going on with some loved one or by their hospital bed. Or you can be walking out of a courtroom thinking about the hundreds of people at your wedding and now you're walking out alone after a divorce or you can think about praying hard on your knees and not hearing God's voice at some passage and it feels dry and it feels lonely or people who have struggled um, to have children and the heartache that goes on and the desperateness of that and the, the desert of that or people who've struggled with relationships or all these different things we there are all kinds of shapes and sizes of the deserts that we head into and in that place though it's it's a lonely place and it's a dry place and it's a, it's a hurtful place but just because it's that and just because it's a place we don't want to sign up to go to voluntarily doesn't mean it's not a good place it doesn't mean that something good's not going to come out of it and I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but that's one of those hard things I want to invite us all to think about for a minute. About when you step into a desert, you may not want to go there, but maybe it's something that's going to bear some fruit, that it's going to be a rich place in our spiritual lives. I was thinking about this. One of my heroes of the faith is uh, Blaise Pascal. Um, some of y'all will know him from your science days. In the metric system, you know, the measure of pressure is the Pascal. It's named for him fantastically brilliant guy and a seriously, seriously devout Christian. I mean, like, he, he used to wear this jacket where he had embroidered on the inside his prayer of self-devotion. And I guess whenever he got tempted, he didn't want to leave. He would open up his jacket and read his prayer that was written there. But fantastically brilliant guy. But he, he talks about, in his own writings, about not even knowing how to pray sometimes about things like illness. Is this, is this something I should be happy to be going through or not? And this is what he says. He says, I know not which is most profitable to me, health or sickness, wealth or poverty, nor anything else in the world. That discernment is beyond the power of men or angels and is hidden among the secrets of your providence, which I adore, but do not seek to fathom. This idea that he doesn't even know for sure, shall I be glad I'm sick because it's going to bring something good or shall I be praying to get out of it? So he's kind of just surrendering into the mystery of God. But I think what's behind that is his confidence and trust as a child of God that even when he's in the wilderness, that God's going to do something good with it. And we see that with Jesus, right? So Jesus goes in the desert today, but when he walks out, he's born fruit in his own life. He's, he's super clear about who he is and what his purpose is. He's dealt with these temptations from the devil. He knows what he's about. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's going to do. He's got this fruit that came from his time in the desert. One of the more interesting uh, retreats I've ever been on, um, they invited everybody that was in attendance at this retreat to make a, a, a life graph. And the way this worked was, you were supposed to um, draw out all the years of your life, and then you were supposed to go back in and write down every significant, super significant event, good and bad. And so you wrote all these down on the on the axis on the bottom. And then after you did that, you were supposed to go back on the uh, the y-axis, and you were supposed to plot where you were spiritually. And when you did this, for most people in the room, you could see these times in the desert that you did not want. They either brought growth right then or right after it. It was one or the other. And so you, you walked away with a little more confidence saying, yeah, I don't want to go there, but if I am there, I need to just surrender it because something good can come out of it. And that brings us back, uh, as we wind this thing up, to talking about Lent. Because part of Lent, we give up things as part of our fasting. But I think part of it is sort of a voluntary step into the desert. You know, particularly as we give up things that are part of our anesthesia towards the pain of life. When you give up the drinks you have or the whatever else it is to take your mind away from your loneliness... Or from your pain that life isn't turned out exactly the way you thought it would or you, that you won or all these things. And part of the invitation of Lent is to step into that desert and to sit with those things. To sit with them and to see that God's there with you in them. And to recognize the fullness of God that you're His beloved. That you're a son and a daughter. And this place of, of bringing that to Him with a conviction. I'm going to have this conviction for you as we surrender it to Him, fruit comes out of it. God will use that broken time, that hurtful time that we're in these desert places, facing down things we don't want to face. He will help bring something, some spiritual fruit out of it as part of who we are and what we're about. That's part of the invitation of Lent. So, well, as we, as we head off now into the, the second full week of Lent, the, the first full week of Lent, I want to invite you to think afresh about temptation. Not about what's pulling you away this way that you, that's tempting you, but what it is you're being pulled away from. And turn back around this way and embrace the God who's there ready to embrace you and experience his love and his sonship and, and go from that place. And the second thing I want to encourage you to is be okay with stepping into the desert, even just a little bit. Give up something that's numbing part of your um, avoidance of whatever that is and be willing to step into it and give it to God and watch what God does with it and the opportunity to grow in it through it the way I think it usually works out. I'm praying for you as you head off into Lent. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, you love us and you, you keep loving us no matter what. For this reason, we are enough. And things may push us to doubt or mistrust you, but by your grace, help us to know and experience you in ways that will give us courage confidence and hope to remember that we are your beloved children secure in you may we give our lives to you and seek to please you when we miss the mark help us to come back it's in jesus name we pray amen Amen.